Welcome to the podcast, episode 12, Extraordinary Jews, the untold story from the neurodiverse population. I'm your host, Debbie Ginsberg from Organize You for Life. Today, we begin a series on dating. I am excited to welcome our guest, Rachel Burnham, who has a lot of experience in this area. Rachel Burnham was born in New Haven, Connecticut, and earned both her BA in psychology and MA in occupational therapy in New York City. As an OT, she worked in a wide variety of settings, which honed her natural gift of intuition and ability to actively listen. Most importantly, for close to a decade, she trained and worked every day to give a variety of populations, neurodiverse being one of them, the confidence and tools to live purposeful and independent lives. Rachel married Rabbi Ozzie Burnham at the age of 34 after dating hundreds of men on thousands of dates over 14 long years. In addition to her own broad dating experience as a dating coach, Rachel has guided countless singles and dating couples towards connective, meaningful, satisfying, and loving relationships. A naturally outgoing people person, Rachel's enthusiasm about relationships and experiences in the dating journey of pain and anguish makes her coaching not only her profession, but her passion. In her free time, Rachel is involved in Jewish outreach and other nonprofit community organizations. Rachel lives with her husband and four children in Silver Spring, Maryland, where they work every day to keep themselves on the shortest route to their longest relationship. Welcome to Extraordinary Jews, Rachel. I really am so excited to have this conversation about dating, which is on the minds of most of our audiences. That's what this is about. As And it's a very, very important discussion, especially in the from world. And we're going to be talking about two aspects, the dating of the neurotypical and then dating of neuroatypical. So welcome. And you can introduce Thank you yourself. so much. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. What an honor. My, my pleasure. So Rachel, um, I would like you to talk about what you're doing in your, what do you do? What do you do day to day? So what is your main? Okay. So I am an occupational therapist, um, part-time and in, and I'm also a dating coach. So my time is split between occupational therapy and dating coaching. Um, some more dating coaching, sometimes more OT, depending on the time of year and the time of day. Um, but I work with obviously neurodiverse community. I work with young children. I work with middle schoolers. Um, and then I work with a lot of the same population when I'm dealing with, um, coaching as well. Okay. That's wonderful. So you actually are a coach to people who might be high functioning ADHD and autism spectrum disorder. Correct. Oh, that's fantastic. That's what people are looking for. So that's great to know. Correct. What do you find is the difference when you, when you are coaching someone who might have some symptoms that fall under the category of ADHD or autism spectrum disorder? You know, um, it's not always popular to say, but we're all coming to the table of relationships with something. You know, even when you have the neurotypical population, um, maybe someone's struggling with some anger management. Maybe somebody's stubborn. Maybe somebody, you know, is... Um, having trouble being able to um, think about, you know, the fears and anxieties of what goes into marriage and making dinner, doing laundry and having children, right? We all come to the table with some something, some sort of fear, anxiety. Um, maybe it could be, uh, you know, a diagnosis or maybe it doesn't have to be a, a, maybe a mental health struggle, right? But what happens is in, in the shidduch world is that anything that is seen externally is usually judged a little harsher 
Whereas there are so many struggles that people have internally that are not seen. And so they kind of get it a little bit easier because it's an internal struggle, but we're all struggling with something. And I think if I had to give over one message today, it would be for everyone to hear that we're all struggling with something. Your might, yours might be a little ex external, mine might be a little internal, but nobody has it perfectly easy. And I know because I'm speaking to so many people every day um, from the neurotypical and the non-neurotypical uh, diverse backgrounds. So I think that that's kind of, you know, important to note. Um, and I think that, you know, unfortunately the, the judgments could be harsh when people are not giving certain things a chance to develop, to give it a try and say, hey, you know what? I've got some challenges internally. You've got some challenges externally. Let's see if we can work as a team and kind of fill each other's gaps and, and work together as a, as a great unit. People tend to look for this kind of idyllic, beautiful, perfect package, package where all the checks are just checked off in the box. Um, and that's not really realistic. So we're finding that a lot of people are are single, are really single. Um, and, and I don't judge people for being particular. Um, I'm the first one to say that there's nothing wrong with being picky. Picky is a sign of confidence. It's a sign of self-worth. It's a sign of knowing who you are and what you have to offer. So being a little particular is not a problem. But like I tell people all the time, you could be as picky as you want. You can ask for the sun, the moon, the stars. But if you have no dates, you might want to reconsider some of those <clears throat> areas because obviously no dates is not going to lead to uh, a relationship. So <clears throat> loving this conversation because one of the things that um, I want to bring out, and I know you will agree, is that, of course, I address the families that might be hiding what they kind of instinctively know is not 100% in their children. They see it. But because of the pressure we have in the from community, which is why I'm doing a specific podcast for just the from community, because I have another podcast um, for the community at large. But the specifics that and uniqueness of our community is that when we we think we feel this pressure to marry off our children, and then we hide certain aspects of their personality, hoping and praying, well, once they get married, it'll all work itself out. This is incorrect. Uh, these particular symptoms will manifest themselves. And then, of course, they get worse once they do get married, especially if you're dealing with a young woman who might have time management issues. And then she has children and she has the responsibility. On top of that, as Orthodox women, we have so much more on our plate than perhaps another person. Um, one of the things that um, I want to address is with regards to the fact that you are saying it so correctly that it is a beautiful thing to get the education of learning how. How do we mesh? How is it that we can learn to bring the two separate types of symptoms, whether internal, external, and work together? And so therefore what you're saying, which I'm also appreciating, is that someone who might be neuroatypical, meaning high-functioning ADHD or autism, is perfectly fine in your mind that they can marry someone who's neurotypical, because you're saying if you guide them correctly, they will be okay. Well, I'm saying there's a spectrum, right? So there, there is a spectrum, even within high functioning, there is a spectrum. And obviously all couples need to be able to, it needs to work, right? There needs to be enough, what I call worth it factors to carry us through the relationship, enough qualities that I see about this person that are worth it enough for me to take on something that might be challenging. Right. And so when I'm taking on someone else's um, particular, you know, challenge or package, um, if I'm able to be honest with myself and realize, well, you know what, maybe he's got a little touch of ADHD or a touch of um, 
high functioning autism, but I've got, you know, major time management, you know, issues. And I really struggled. Um, I had, I had trouble in school taking tests or maybe I had a minor learning disability, but he's super intellectual. He's got a crazy memory. Maybe we could work together. It has to work for the couple. I'm not here to push people into places that are not feeling comfortable. It has to work, but I, I definitely have seen it work uh, very well, many times when someone will say, you know what, this is a quality guy. He has spectacular midos. He is kind. He is smart. He's got a great job. He's super intelligent, right? And my social skills are a little bit better than his and his intellectual skills are a little bit better than mine. But you know what? We could probably make a really good life together if we are able to you know, treat each other with respect and we're able to be hashkafically compatible um, and really enjoy each other's company. So what if his social skills are not mine? Meaning most people are looking for a carbon copy of themselves because therefore, because my social skills are where they at, where they're at, therefore I need someone exactly like that. But as I always say, I've never met two puzzle pieces that fit together because they were cut out the same. They're always fitting together because they're cut out differently. That's why they fit so well. Uh, <laughs> I love it because I think of it like that too. It's so funny you use that 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 uh, analogy. I want to talk about that, you know, the honesty and the authentic uh, sense of self. So that's one of the things that I do in my services where I help a person to really understand their authentic self. Because what happens is, is we tell each other, we tell ourselves little lies and we cover up our emotions and we're not really in touch with our emotions. And that's a very crucial part of being able to develop who you are in a correct way. And, you know, we, we know clearly, I mean, and I speak of this all the time that I met my husband when, you know, I was a kid. And we were very different, but you know, okay, you were Shama Shabbos, I was Shama Shabbos, that was the way it worked back then. Great, <laughs> so we'll get together. And then of course we grew together. But today what we're seeing, and we're not, I don't know that I have the uh, research under my belt to say why. Why is it different today? I was a Shadchan uh, back in the early uh, 2000s when I was working in a very large yeshiva. And I wanna address uh, the issue that Interestingly enough, these wonderful human beings, and I mean wonderful, great guys, were pulling themselves out of the dating um, mode because they were earning little monies. And they kept saying, I won't be able to support an orthodox young woman. Today, fast forward 2023, when I deal with my particular population, I would say the average earnings of a young man is anywhere between fifty dollars and $70,000, which in today's times is considered very, very small. I always encourage them and say, don't worry, don't think about the income because the young woman will be working. The two of you will continue to grow. I want to talk about income because I think that that is a very major um, stumbling block and it's a factor and it's something that our families will look for and say, no, I don't want him because he's not earning enough money. And that knocks out my population. You want to address that? Sure. So, um, you know, the first thing I like to start with about this topic is like, where's Hashem in all of this? Like, where is Hashem? I mean, like Rosh Hashanah is coming up, right? And if we're Maminim and we believe that we're davening for Parnassah and Hashem is going to decide on Rosh Hashanah what we have, right? So then then to go and daven and say, Hashem, I believe you're the giver of everything and you could do anything and then say, I'm not going out with him because he only makes 50. So there's like a big discrepancy between either we're, we're Maminim or we're not Maminim. So that's where I like to start with this. Um, but what I'll say is, first of all, yes, you know, someone who's starting at 50 or 75, that does not mean where he's going to be ending, right? That means where he's starting. 
start for the beginning. People can work their way up. Obviously, the woman will be working too in many cases. And there's also a lot of families that are willing to help their children out, especially in the beginning, because they understand their child, they understand some of the challenges, and they want to get them off on the right foot. Um, and I will say, particularly with men, something that I've seen over and over again is that these men who get married, two things happen when they get married. A, they get a tremendous boost of confidence because like I'm a married man, I'm the owner of my, I'm, I'm the head of my household. I need to take care of my wife and they step it up. They are become more of a hustler. People look at them differently because they're not like a single guy who's just on his own. Now they're a married man. Maybe they have a child or two and their earning power does grow. I've really seen their earning power grow with the growth of their confidence and them feeling good by themselves. And with someone who's encouraging them, I've really seen their earning power grow. So what you're dating him at is not the cap. That's just kind of the entrance way. That's like where he's starting off. Um, but I've seen a lot of growth um, in a lot of people who honestly became wealthy um, because they had a certain niche or they had a certain business or because you know obviously Hashem decided that they should. So don't lock yourself into something that you don't really know, you know, what's going to change because money comes and money goes, right? Uh, the word zuzim means like yeah. lazuz, to yeah. go, to move, because it moves from one hand to another hand and it's constantly switching hands. What I would say to focus on are the qualities that are not going to change. Who is this person? Do I respect them? What kind of mentor are they? You know, is he going to get up for the baby at three o'clock in the morning? You know, who is this person and how will they take care of me? How will they treat me? That is something that won't change so quickly, you know? So I, I have girls from neurotypical backgrounds going for these, what I call, you know, there are two kinds of daters. There's the externally impressive and the internally impressive. Externally impressive, they're good looking, they dress well, they, you know, they walk the walk, they got the swagger, they're so charismatic, every and they make a lot of money and everyone falls for them. I got to tell you internally, there's a lot of lacking going on. And girls pay for it because everything looks good on the outside and they're suffering inside because they're not being treated well or they're not being treated with dignity or respect or there's a real lack of midos, right? But then we have the internally impressive, which I would say is probably more of a focus of your population where these guys are not the most social. They might not be making the biggest money. They might not be the hottest dresser, right? But these guys, and I know because I coach many of them, heart of gold, <laughs> soul, will bend over backwards for their wife, will do anything to help their children. It's like midos that you've never seen before. So kind, so giving, community-oriented, chesed, learning, working hard, right? And you think like these girls are giving up their opportunity to be treated like a queen for like a, like a fancier suit. Like get them a new suit. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So- You've been described by clients so much. I know. And I see this every day. So I, I encourage girls to be able to think clearly about, is this guy externally impressive or is he internally impressive? And if he's externally impressive and you're just falling for that, you better make sure there are internal qualities that are going to carry you through a lifetime. And you also should make sure that when you're dating somebody not as externally impressive, that you give it a little bit of time to get to know him and not just get so thrown off by the external because there's very often a diamond hidden there that you're not noticing, you know? So I really try to encourage people to go beneath the surface and say, whoa, before I just dump this guy or girl, who are they really? Let me see if I can connect with that real person because a lot of times they're throwing out some really great options that like, they're just, what am I family gonna say? Oh my gosh, he's not the look I had in mind. He's not the money I had in mind. He's not the, right? And those things could be long-term damaging. So I'm gonna take it even one step further. First of all, I just, I love how you describe that. That's a hundred percent true. Um, 
perhaps like a mother, I am very um, proud of my clients and my clients have gone through this very, very challenging and comprehensive emotional intelligence course. So they very much understand themselves. They are truly diamonds, my young men. These are not my sons. My sons are all married, but my <laughs> clients that I'm referring to. And I want to bring up a conversation that I had with a mother as a telling sign of the issues that we face that are, um, I want to say this as nicely as possible, but they're misguided. And in one situation, I was trying to match up a young man with a young woman that he actually had met through school. And one of the questions the mom asked was, what color shirt does he wear? So I said, wait, before you ask that question, could you ask me what's underneath that shirt? What is in his heart? Because I'd like to address the meadows of this sterling character of this young man who is going to make your daughter a queen. He's going to treat her with such, you know, with so much love and make her feel rich in every single way. And, you know, we know this from Pierre Avos, you know, and we know this from everything and everything in Torah teaches us about one who's happy with their lot. Number one has joy, feels richness. Richness is so we are so given the wrong message about rich being rich. And I feel it myself has nothing to do with what's in the bank. Feeling rich is being enveloped by family, by love, by caring, by a husband who'll say, oh, what would you like? I'm going out to the store today, putting you in his mind, thinking about you. It's not about, oh, my husband remembered to bring me a diamond. No, it's not that. It's the little diamonds every day. And it's the little things. And, you know, personally, and I'm married 45 years to, you know, a, a great guy. He brings me flowers on our anniversary and people go, oh, that, that that's all you got. I'm like, I love it. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we have to be able to appreciate and that's our problem. Society has so much exposure. In fact, we were talking before we started the podcast and I want to bring this up as a, it's very, very important point that we have 15 million Americans who are suffering from social anxiety, and this is not the conversation today, but there's a point to be made. So there are three reasons why we are now detecting that there's social anxiety and a growth in it. I'm not even referring to the neurodiverse, just in general. And this is people who are diagnosed with it, not mentioning people not diagnosed. The number two reason is because in society, we no longer sit worrying about, will we have food and a roof over our heads? We're worried about the materialism. And that materialism has literally changed our perspective in terms of how we look at everything and literally has tainted and created toxic situations with relationships, the type of perspective we have, what we look for in a person. And as you said so beautifully, what one sees on the external is not necessarily what's on the internal. And therefore, I think when people turn to specific types of shadchans, they will get the right answer. Because if we do our job right, we will be able to say to the family, this person really is one of value, one who is worth. And I, I really am so excited to meet you because of the fact that I am, you know, looking forward now, believe me, you're going to be getting a name, you're going to be getting a list of like, <laughs> names. Um, how important it is to, for families to trust and recognize 
who really has their child's best interest at heart, not just putting him and her together because, yeah, they match religiously or he wears a pants and white shirt and she wears a skirt. And Rachel, you wanted to, yeah. So I, I wanted to jump in here and say, you know, I think that it comes from a place of um, an almost an over-focus on image, right? And so when I'm single, <clears throat> I'm very aware of my social reputation. I'm very aware of what people are saying about other people. Therefore, they're probably saying it about me. And that goes from where do I go to school and where do I go to camp and what do I wear and who, do, or who are my social circles and where do I live? Who are my neighbors, right? So what are my materialistic levels? And so I'm very concerned with what people are thinking of me. Therefore, the kind of boy that I'm choosing has to be a boy that is going to fit into the image that I'm comfortable with. But what singles don't have experience with is marriage right? And so they're thinking more about how is this person going to affect my image, as opposed to thinking about how is this person going to affect my day-to-day -day life internally? And because we have no experience with marriage and all experience with image, we're making decisions from a place of how does this positively affect on my image, as opposed to how is this person going to care for me emotionally? You know, how are they going to be to my children? How, what, what kind of father? Well, I don't know what father is. I don't know what mother is. I don't know what marriage is. I don't know what marriage is. I know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what I would talk to you, but I, but that's the number one. When I ask my clients, do you know what it means to be married? No. And they do not. Right. That's right. Well, how could they? You really can't know what it means to be married until you're married, right? So. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's certain things about responsibility that people have. Oh, to of course, of course. But to really understand, let's say, how important, you know, when I was single, um, if, for many years, I was single for 14 years. If someone would call me and say, I have a great guy for you. Oh, really? Tell me about him. He's just really nice. Okay, great. Tell me more. What else can you tell me about him? He's just, he's just nice. He's such a nice guy. He's such a man. I would be so insulted. Do you think that all I am is nice? All you're going to come to me with is just a nice guy. Like, where are the bells? Where are the whistles? Does he have a degree? What kind of chesed has he done? Is he running some sort of organization? What does he look like? How good looking? I would be so insulted. Today, being married, I'm going to tell you the smartest thing that I did was marry a nice, kind person. It's probably the only thing that was really, really important with all the things that everyone's looking for. What I was looking for, being married, nice and kind is very underrated. <clears throat> And I think that when people are single, because image is such a big focus, we're matching a shidduch that fits into my image, as opposed to understanding how this is going to actually affect your day-to-day -day life. And it will affect day-to-day -day life a lot. I work with a lot of singles who are um, getting married for the second time around, um, mm -hmm. and they're dating very differently second time around. Uh, first time around, you know, they were pressured into it. I wouldn't say, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Or he was really charismatic. He was really cool. And he kind of swept me off my feet. But he wasn't, he wasn't a mensch. And here's the thing. You can take a course with you and learn about emotional intelligence and learn about setting boundaries and learn about social and communication skills. You can learn those skills. Midos are not something that's very easily learnable or changeable. So you can, and this is what I try to say to the neurotypical population, you can learn a lot of skills to become more social and more communicative and meet your partner where they're at. But Midos, you kind of got it or you don't. I mean, you can work on it, but it can take 20, 30 years to change a bad Midah. And, and that's like, you, and you can't even guarantee that. So be careful where you're cutting corners because this is going to affect wanna, your life. Okay, so I want to address that. <clears throat> I do agree to an extent. So yes, I deal with 
helping a person to build themselves up and that teaching them the emotional intelligence and all that. But one of the other things that I do teach is changing habits. And I am a woman whose education is based on neuroscience and psychology and philosophy. And we do believe, uh, I believe very strongly in neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity means we can change the way the brain works. We can change habits. I wouldn't say that someone who's really a nasty guy, you know, then can I 100% change them? But by having them go through a journey where they have to examine self, they can start to pick up and say, and we talk about this, you know, looking at other people's socialization. What do we see in someone else that we want to say, oh, I like that in that other person. I'd like to adopt that type of behavior. And, oh, I see that in another person because really what's happening and when we do comparison is we see mirroring. And when we mirror, we see, oh, I don't really care for that. I'd like to take that and try to work on it. So a little bit, I would say, I can change people's midos. I can help them, guide them better. I mean, I'm, I really believe strongly that my course is just as effective for someone who's neurotypical as it is for someone neuroatypical, um, but I don't have the time. <laughs> like I would be pretty clients to send you, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm very busy with my job, but I will say this, that I don't know whether or not you have the, the research. I will just say that it's startling in terms of, I have friends who have, who have children and in their early 20s, and they're coming back to me with statistics of their own friends. So it's a very small, I mean, this is totally not research. I cannot claim it as such, but they're saying 50% of their friends are already getting divorced. Of the neuro atyp I mean, of the neuroatypical, uh, we're seeing also high rates of divorce. And a lot of it, and this is what I want to address, is the fact that no one's recognizing that, yes, we have a dating coach. Yes, we have a Debbie Ginsburg who's teaching you how to be self. But after you get married, you need to check in once a month with a professional. You need to have someone who's going to help you to talk about that communication. We don't need to think of it as a stigma as much as an investment in, in our relationship and to continue what you had beforehand. So I'm hoping that you're offering those services as well. So I do. So I take people through the dating process um, through, through Shana Rishona. Um, Shana Rishona to me is a very, very crucial year. Very, very crucial. After Shana Rishona, there, I do have some couples that do want to stay on with me just because, um, and sometimes nothing's wrong. They're doing, like you said, just a check-in, make sure everything's you know okay, anything that they can tweak. Um, sometimes they'll stay on with me because they've been with me all along. And sometimes, you know, they, I, I would recommend that they go speak to a marriage counselor. Um, if that's what they're needing at the time, you know, if it gets a little bit more complex. Um, but yes, yes, most certainly it's super important. Just like, you know, you'll go to your nutritionist to maintain, make sure your diet is maintained and make sure your weight is where it needs to be. You'll go to a dating coach to maintain the same thing. I've actually had people purchase gift cards for Hassan Kala to come to me um, to work through their relationship, even if things are in a good place, you know, there you can always go from good to great. So just as a wedding gift to give them one or two sessions with a dating coach um, to just kind of dating a relationship coach just to help them. It's kind of a beautiful wedding gift that some people have done. Uh, so just kind of throw it, on the, throw it out there. But yes, most certainly it's something that needs constant maintenance. And of course you can change media and you can work on these things, but you have to be someone who wants to work on it, who wants to change you know, like I say, marriage is not a hospital. We can't come into marriage thinking that I'm going to be married and all of a sudden everything's going to fall into place. That is not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is it'll solve you being single. You won't be single, but now you've got her challenges and your challenges. And now it's double whammo challenges that need to be worked out 
together and is not always so simple. And it's not always so simple for neurotypical couples, right? So not at all. It's it's challenging. Marriage is hard work. And what I tell people, you want easy. If you want an easy life, here's what I recommend. Get yourself a good book. Get yourself a beach chair, pina colada, some good music, <laughs> sit on the beach, listen to music and read a book. If you're yeah. looking for easy street, that's probably better for you. If you're looking to build a meaningful, deep, long lasting relationship, you better roll up your sleeves because it's hard work. I didn't say it's bad work. I said it's hard work and it's hard work that yields a beautiful future. When you look back at the amount of years that you've been married, you say, wow, Look at everything we went through. Look what we've built, right? It feels so fulfilling, but it was hard work. And I think a lot of singles hear it, but they don't really hear it. Like when I got married, everyone's like, marriage is hard work. Marriage is hard work. And then I got married. I was like, oh, now I get it. Hard work. Okay. Now it's all falling <laughs> into place. Now I know what they're talking about. Okay. So it's not bad work, but we have to understand that we have to be willing to roll up our sleeves and do the work that is necessary in order to meet someone where they're at. And what I talk about is, you know, when we're single, we're just kind of independent. We can kind of do our own thing. When we're babies, we're very dependent on our on our caregivers. When we're in, when we move on, we're like independent. But that's not the highest level of of uh, functioning. The highest level is interdependence. And interdependence is taking your life and my life and your schedule and my schedule and your food choices and my food choices and what you want to spend money on and what I want to spend money on, putting it all together and figuring out how this is going to work for both of us, you know, mm -hmm. and hopefully come out enjoyable at the end. So yeah, marriage is hard. Marriage takes work, but um, I have a lot of confidence uh, in, in marriage itself and how much it could create within people. I uh, have an ebook. It's called Marriage Readiness. And I put it together because of the fact that even though I'm not a dating coach or relationship coach, so many people came my way because of the fact that I do advertise is your child mature enough to date or to get married. And That's amazing. Being, I love to see it. Right. So it is, it, it's on my website, organizeyouforlife.com. I just, I, I love our conversation and I would like to continue this because I think that there's more, we could get more involved in tips and talk about techniques and we really could get into more nitty gritty if you, if you'd like to come back and join. Sure, my pleasure. Okay. So I, I thank you all for uh, joining us on this podcast. I think this was very exciting. I mean, I, as you all noticed, I probably kept the quietest I've ever in any podcast because Rachel had so much, like just, it was golden, what you have to offer. And I'm, I'm so excited to have met you and I'm looking forward to working with you because thank I really you. have. Thank I you. Have if anyone chance. wants to uh, find me, you can find me at dategreat.com, which is D as in date, eight is in the number gr8.com. Um, and you can send me an email at uh, Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, at dategreat.com. I'd be happy to get to know everybody. I, you know, I work with, I coach parents, I coach singles, I run workshops, all kinds of, you know, uh, lectures and Zooms and webinars and all that. Um, and I, and I really, I treasure working with my singles because, you know, a big part of my heart is there. I was there. I know the pain. I know what they've gone through. Um, and I, and I, I know that there were people there for me, which is why I was able to, you know, get to the other side at 34. I don't believe that I would have been able to get married on my own. I really needed that, uh, guidance. Um, and so it's just my absolute honor and pleasure to, uh, to be able to help people in this way and, and give back in some way. So, and this was such an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you, Debbie. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you. And I hope that you will consider actually teaching others to be dating coaches because you've got it right. And that's a very important thing. And with that, we're going to say goodbye and hope that people will share this podcast. If you like it, please send us feedback. We want to hear what you have to say. And thank you again, Rachel Bernhardt from Silver Spring.